Attraction. It's time for Retracting. Going forward, going backwards, and forever, ever spinning, spinning, spinning. What's going on, man? What's up? What's uh, what's up with the climate? I hear it's still pretty rough out there. It doesn't feel like it's let up. Does it feel? Does it feel rough? Well, definitely. If you're in Hawaii, it definitely feels rough over there. Um, I mean, yeah, they were going through a drought, and then they had high winds, and something caught fire, and not something, something the the invasive plants, invasive species. Based on what happened? Well, they're saying that. Hawaii, I actually have a topic about that, but maybe I'll save that for another day. Um, but uh, apparently Hawaii has a high number of invasive species uh, in terms of plants, and those invasive plants uh, have a higher propensity to be uh, to catch fire. And it's like a vicious cycle because once they catch fire and are uh, basically burned out, what then replaces them is not native species, but more invasive species that are also susceptible to to burning, which is crazy because you would think that, all right, let's burn out the invasive species. It'll be replaced by native species. It doesn't work that way at all, apparently. Apparently, invasive species get replaced by invasive species because they're the ones that are hardier. They're the ones that uh, can survive the drought. They could survive the uh, the harsher climate, the harsher terrain, and but they're more they're more susceptible to uh, to catching fire. It's crazy. Wild Interesting. cycle, yeah. You'll have to dig into that. Yeah, we'll dig into that another time. But uh, but uh, yeah, that that's uh, I, my heart goes out to uh, the people of Maui. It's uh, can't imagine. Can't imagine. It's it's one thing I think to, you know, you're in California. I know people get trapped. I know there's loss of life. Um, but the fire taking over that town. I mean, the fact that people are jumping into the harbor in order to escape it uh, because you know the traffic backed up again. It's very difficult to get out of. Uh, you know, if you're on an island, I don't know if anyone anyone who's lived on an island or vacationed on a peninsula or anything like that knows that the which i think we talked about maybe like the maybe like the fifth episode of the pod we talked about how how much i used to laugh as a kid uh with regard to the um the evacuation route from my peninsula coming out of rockaway and mm-hmm. how it was just this like one lane highway and i was like if, if there's ever a disaster are you, you kidding me every person that lives in this island or uh, is supposed to evacuate on this tiny little strip of stretch of, uh, stretch of land and uh yeah similar situation kind of occurred here uh, everyone's trying to evacuate on a little strip of land and uh, uh people's people's cars the, the tires and their cars started to melt while they were in them um well they say that died in their cars and they're saying now that now that climate change is becoming more and more of an issue, one, our existing infrastructure isn't built for climate change, but two, the data being used to produce or build infrastructure today for tomorrow is based on pre-climate change data. So we're still not building for climate change. Wild. That's and crazy. Yeah. It's, yeah. So you your heart goes out to... People yeah, of, of people Hawaii, of Maui, yeah. everywhere terrible. else, which we'll cover today on the pod. And yeah. it's just where it's just going to happen more. Yeah, that's that. That's the sad fact. Yeah. So, so far in our climate series, we've covered how climate change has impacted humans financially and professionally, how it's impacted businesses, communities, ecosystems, plants and animals, and how our energy technology and infrastructure is and is not meeting the moment. And I strongly encourage everyone to check out those episodes. 
But today in our climate series, I'm going to highlight how extreme weather and natural disasters caused by human-made global warming and climate change are impacting human health. So right along the same lines as what you just talked about in Hawaii. You've heard me say this before, global warming is no longer coming. Here's a quote from the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres to kick us off. And I quote, the era of global boiling has arrived. Climate change is here, it is terrifying, and it is just the beginning, unquote. Crazy. That's like a, it's almost like you're reading from a science fiction novel. It's, uh, it does sound like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> it stuck out to me. I was like, like yeah, I'm putting that in the pod because that's a great book. Yeah. The president of the free colonies, Mr. I, you know, it's so crazy. And I feel so bad about this, but for some reason in my head, the uh, head of the UN is still, uh, it was, was it Kofi Annan? Do you remember yep. that guy? Mm-hmm. He used, yeah. Why is that? <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to climate change. It's me. I know it's me. I have an issue. I have a problem. The last time, maybe, maybe something happened. Was maybe was it one of the wars where the UN was center was stage so, in U.S. Yeah. politics, and, and that's who just, the face of it was? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Because you're right. I I just if someone had asked me who's the current U.N. Secretary General, I'd be like, I I have no idea. I I, I keep saying Kofi or not, but that's insane because he's well retired if if he's still alive i don't even know if yeah. he's still alive that's a fair but, that's uh, fair but the uh what'd you call it the error of global boiling, boiling? Yep. what a what a what a dark sentiment dark sentiment imagine i mean that does not instill optimism you cannot start a speech with the era of global boiling is upon us and and have people walk away feeling refreshed fulfilled and saying you know what things may be dark but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. That's just like, no, it's dark. There is black at the end of this tunnel. And uh, it's just a matter of how quickly we all we all want to perish. It's like, do we want to perish slowly or do we want to perish quick? It's like all hold hands and uh, and, and, and sing uh, as we uh, fly off this cliff. But anyway, going yeah. on, you go on, you go on with this. Well, I'm going to start with heat. Here's a fun fact about heat. Heat is often labeled as the silent killer because people don't realize they're in trouble until until things are progressing rapidly and it's too late. Another fun fact about heat is that it's the leading weather-related cause of mortalities in the U.S., outpacing death by hurricane by a factor of eight to one. In fact, heat is responsible for more deaths than hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, and earthquakes combined. And that's not even counting the non-fatal consequences, which are just as many, but some estimates say that about 10,000 people die each year from extreme heat. And this stat is before this summer. This summer is hot, but it's not normally this hot. I think we all know that by now. I hope, I hope we do. This summer, there's never been anything like it. Washington, D.C. hit 110 degrees. 22 cities broke 100 degrees in one day. Phoenix has set a record with 30 consecutive days at 110. That's 43C for our international listeners, with nighttime temperatures above 90. For those of you wondering about the previous record, I was in 1974 with 18 days, so this just crushed that. July itself has set a record as the hottest month ever recorded on the planet. The planet. 
81% of the world's population was impacted by climate change related heat in July. That's 6.5 billion people. Even the ocean is boiling as Flor as a Florida buoy recorded a ridiculous 101.1 degree water temp, which was up from the day before, which was 102 for context, because Antoine always asks for context. The average hot tub is 100 to 102 degrees. This was 101. I love that. That's no, oh, that's good contest. I always ask for things like that because you could you could rattle off numbers all the time. I could be like, it was 135 degrees yesterday, people. And if you've never experienced 135 degree weather, if you've never experienced, uh, you know, either having to work or having to walk or spend an inordinate amount of time outside during, uh, you know, a very high heat event. You have no idea what, what we're talking about and uh, a hot tub. But I think most people have at least experienced or looked at a hot tub on TV, a hot tub time machine, really good movie. Check it out if you have it. And, uh, and, and it's, it's imagine walking in a hot tub all day long or imagine being asked to work in a hot tub, which most people don't. Right. It's a leisure activity. You're sitting down, uh, you know, you're drinking a couple of beers. You're you're not asked to do hard labor. In a hot tub. Imagine being asked to do hard labor in something hotter than a hot tub. That's crazy. And even back to Phoenix, which is I'm glad that you brought them up because I like to harp on their on their, uh, you know, how they pass, how they decide to live their uh, their their existence. The fact that it's 90 degrees at night, because first of all, a lot of Phoenix, what they've done is they've shifted a lot of construction work, uh, anything that is labor intensive to being done at night. And you're thinking, oh, okay, well, it's cooler at night. Yeah, it's 110 of the day, but it's probably like, what, 60, 70 at night. It's a nice, like, easy breeze or thing. The fact that you're still being asked to work 90 in 90 degree weather doing, like, road work with chisels or having to wear heavy gear, doing some sort of, you know, as protective gear, doing some sort of work uh, at night in 90 degrees. That's, I mean, that's still hell. That's hell. That to be that, that's. That's awful. I can't imagine having to do that. That's that's not pleasant. So even if you're thinking, oh, they offset it because they're working at night, uh, I'm sure there are still people who have issues dealing that and, and have to, you know, have to take breaks or or have heat exhaustion. Even work. that's that's crazy. You could possibly have heat exhaustion working without the sun out because it's 90 degrees. That's crazy. Anyway. I know I'll never forget this episode of Survivor, man. I think his name was Les Stroud he used to be on TV and he went, I want to say somewhere in Africa, he, the dude was like, I, he, he seemed like the real deal. He put himself into these environments. He did his thing. And sometimes he had to tap out. And this was one of the times he had to tap out. The idea was that his Jeep broke down and he had to survive with what he could find in the Jeep in the surrounding area for a few days until he got until help arrived. And because it was so hot at night, and he wasn't used to it. It was like 120 during the day and like 100 at night or something. He got heat exhaustion or heat stroke and he had to leave. His, his te body temperature was rising. It wasn't coming down. And he had to call the producers and get out. And it was one of the few times that he had to call it quits that he couldn't make it through because it was too extreme. And that's exactly what you're talking about here. You're just not getting relief. It's not normal. Um, and that 101, 102, the hot tub thing, that's, again, the ocean. So not even talking about what it's like to work. How is marine life supposed to survive in hot tub temperature weather or, or, or hot tub temperature water? Um, so it's it's pretty nuts. And folks, make no mistake. This is all because humans burn fossil fuels. 
those things that we all learned about in elementary school that for some reason we're forgetting as adults or choosing to dismiss it out of convenience or a reluctance to face a reality of our choices, that's what's causing all of this. And I don't want anyone to forget it as we go through this. One more. California has been experiencing dangerous triple digit temperatures. These are sustained temps between 103 to 108. And with that, the risk of heat related illnesses is on the rise that could overwhelm hospitals. And we all know what that was like from COVID. It wasn't good. Nevada is already at 51% above a 2018 average. And other southern states, like Texas, are 37% above normal in hospital capacity. And here's a specific update out of Texas. A 14-year-old boy died at Big Bend National Park from 119-degree heat. Again, for outside of the U.S. listeners, that's 48 degrees Celsius. Wait, Fun what fact, is this kid doing outside in 114 degree heat, by the way? I don't know. People are outside. Who knows? You're on vacation and it's just like that's how hot it is that day. Jesus. Right. Jesus. What do you do? Yeah. You try and tough it out. How, how hot does that feel? You don't know. And that's the point. Remember, I brought up before mm-hmm. you don't know. Heat is the type of thing where you don't know it's dangerous until it's too late. I you try. feel fine until you don't. Fun fact, Death Valley hit 128 degrees Fahrenheit in July. That's 53.3 Celsius. So the most at-risk people are those that work outside, as we were just talking about. But those inside workers aren't in the clear either, which Antoine also covered last time. Go check out the beginning of episode 129 to hear his take on it. Others at high risk include the elderly, prisoners, the homeless, pregnant people, and anyone with medical conditions. In fact, about half of heat deaths are thought to be from heart attacks that are brought on because of the stress. So people living in concrete dominated cities, especially poor neighborhoods that lack tree cover are also at higher risk. It's also worth noting that climate change also displaces around, I should say over 20 million indigenous people every year. They lose historic tribal land due to drought, wildfires and floods. So it impacts a lot. I mean, there's so much that goes into this stuff. And experts expect these punishing heat waves to drive a record number of heat-related deaths. And you might be asking, well, what are these heat-related deaths? I'm not going to go through them all, but here are a few. Heat exhaustion, heat stroke, dehydration, food and waterborne illnesses from bacteria that replicate faster in hot weather. So there's just a few. So several states have issued warnings to stay hydrated, limit outdoor activity, and remain inside in air conditioning. And again, Antoine pointed out in a previous climate change episode, what happens when the electrical grid fails, which they tend to do. So in a previous week, one of these heat alerts impacted over 170 million Americans. So it's less and less of it's happening over there, it's not happening here, more and more Americans are feeling the impacts of climate change. If it hasn't happened to you yet, whether it has and you just don't know it, or it really truly hasn't, it is coming and it will be here very soon. To zoom out for a second, nearly 40% of the US population has faced heat advisories. If you're wondering what the economic cost of extreme heat is, in Europe, it's about $2 trillion in the form of tourism as it plummets and the travel industry tanks. And why would the travel industry take such a hit from climate change? Well, 
Greece was on fire, causing the evacuations of thousands, and sites like the Acropolis were shut down. Sardinia left Taurus with a record heat wave and not much relief. Because remember, Europe doesn't really have AC for the most part. And it's only going to get worse. Last year, it was found that heat waves in Europe were responsible for upwards of 60,000 heat deaths. And a callback to a previous climate episode, we talked about the vicious cycle of climate change and our measures to cope with it. U.S. power generators have burned a record amount of natural gas during these hottest days of summer as businesses and homes crank up the AC. TBD on if our electrical grids can handle the sustained stress. And yes, if you're wondering, natural gas is a fossil fuel. So something else to consider is that heat can cause flooding. Scientists were just astonished by the unpredictable severity of a glacial lake outburst that flooded Juneau, Alaska. You may have seen videos or pics of these houses on the riverbanks just falling into falling into the water. That water moved at such volume and force that it decimated hillsides, homes, and 100-foot trees. And the scariest part is that this rare event is likely to happen again and relatively soon. For some context, FEMA defines a 100-year flood as discharging 17,000 cubic feet of water per second. A 500-year flood, flood is 20,000. This event was 25,000 cubic feet of water per second, which had previously been given less than a 1% chance of happening. And now they think it's just going to keep happening. So moving on, storms are probably the easiest and most common link we have to climate change, especially hurricanes. So I'm not going to go too much into that on the pod today, but I will say that the U.S. recorded a record 500 mile long lightning bolt, which is just insane. I didn't know that that was a thing um, that's likely to uh, be broken again because of the extreme conditions that need to happen for those bolts to happen. That's more common now. A tornado damaged a Pfizer plant that could result in drug shortages. A dam in Norway burst open due to days of heavy rain that triggered landslides and flooding. And you can only imagine that that's going to become more common. As I was just saying, infrastructure wasn't designed for climate change. And I'll also add that California has been experiencing powerful storms in the mountains and desert areas, which increases the risk of fire. And that brings us to our next disaster event, wildfires. California, basically the entire West Coast of this country, isn't just hot, it's on fire. Thousands of acres having or are burning. The York Fire alone scorched 94,000 acres, that's 150 square miles, including much of the iconic Joshua trees in the Mojave Desert. This crisis has reached such a point, the blazes have become so fierce that we now have fire whirls, which are fire tornadoes. Fire NATOs. This isn't some sci-fi movie. This is an additional challenge that firefighters have to face. Funnels of rotating fireballs. And consider them the mascot of climate change and possibly the last thing you'll see on this earth if we don't get things under control. Da, da, da. So it's Can not you just describe how, how tall do they get? Do you know? Yeah, they're, I mean, it doesn't say exactly how big because I'm sure it, it's relatively new and they're not taking measurements, but okay. they're 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 giant fireballs that are going stretching into the sky. Do they touch the clouds above? I don't know. But what's happening is there's these high winds yeah. and the high winds are so sustained now mm-hmm. that it's just whipping up the fire. And I guess fires themselves, if you've ever been on a campfire or you um, have a fireplace, it sucks in oxygen. You'll see around 
your campfires is usually a little, especially if it's like a fire pit, there's holes in the side to suck the oxygen in. And if you have a fireplace in your house, you can open usually a wood draft and your fire will get more intense. That's what's yeah. happening. The fires are so big and they're around for so long. These wildfires, they're sucking all this oxygen in and it's creating a vortex and it spins up. And it's just, it has to get that intense. That's a crazy, I mean, I can't even imagine seeing such a thing. That just seems like such a crazy event to witness. I mean, it's, it's, that. I mean, that, I think I used the term already hell on earth, but I think I should have saved it because that's to me seeing a fire tornado. I mean, my God, that's like some wrath of God crap right there. You know, I imagine it just comes up too, that it just whips up, that it's not this thing that like forms over an hour. I imagine it, it's pretty quick. Yeah, it so, also sounds like a magic card for any of my nerds out there. It's um definitely I that that's the image I'm I, I could see that easily on a magic card. I in fact I bet you there is a magic card called Fire Tornado. I I bet you it's part of the red deck. Anyway, nerds get at me with that one. Deep cut, deep cut. I will I will also say, uh, when you brought up the urban areas for heat, I uh I think the listener should know that it's not just the temperature of what the urban area is reflecting concrete could possibly boost the temperature that you will feel by up to 22 degrees fahrenheit wow that's incredible yeah yeah concrete that why is currently we, used why do we still make things out of concrete that's crazy oh uh, because that's the uh that's the you know that that's the the trees of the of the city you know that that's 22 the, uh, degrees it's the urban it's the uh you know it's it's what we use in urban areas we use concrete it's cheap me if it's 80 outside it feels like it's 102 coming that's off correct that, like that's radiant correct. heat that's correct because uh when combined with the heat released by vehicle engines because cities have cars that are going through it that can boost the temperature yeah absolutely yeah Jesus. Plus, you've got the underground. You've got uh, trains as also providing heat to the con- uh, to the concrete. So yeah, it's amplifying heat. So yeah, if it's eighty, so if you're saying that it's a hundred degrees outside for a person that is in a concrete jungle, as we would use, as we as the colloquialism would go, no trees, just concrete everywhere, it would actually feel what I what was the example I just used? <laughs> if it's a hundred degrees outside, it will feel like it's hundred and twenty, or it could feel like it's hundred and fifteen. Yeah, easily. Wow. Yeah. So just another you think note. We'd, um come up with some new building materials uh this article that i'm referencing actually talks about something called like i think it's called like permeable concrete uh, it's slightly more expensive oh is that um, when the water drips through it and stuff I like I, i'm, I, stuff I'm not like i don't want to i again i didn't yeah. uh, i didn't bring right. it to, to show next time. but uh, next time. yeah next time next time there are concretes that we could use that would help but it, it's more expensive and apparently the concrete that is currently in use today uh, this is the back. This is the backlash of using that concrete. Is that it's uh, it's like a heat reflector. Oof. All right. So with the fires, it's not just California. Oregon has the Bedrock Fire that burns a thousand acres every day. And get this, predictions are that it will continue to burn until October. Crazy. Wildfires raged in roads, one of eighty across Greece, causing evacuations and closings. Wildfires across Algeria have killed dozens of people and the evacuation of thousands. There has also been a 45% increase in the number of flammable nights over the past 40 years, which I've never heard the term before. Flammable nights, which is basically when conditions at night are just as conducive to fires as they are during the day, whereas typically night is a critical time for slowing a speed of a speeding fire. So you, it, it is naturally, it's almost like a natural like break that nature has. And uh, we don't have that anymore. We're losing well, that's, it. 
that's sort of what that's sort of what I'm getting at in terms of the, the Phoenix thing. It's like we we look at night as this reprieve. It, 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 it looks like nature looks at it as a reprieve as well. We look at it as a reprieve. We're like, oh, okay, we can offset what we can't get done during the day because we have all this technology. We have lights. We have electricity. We can work into the night. Night is cooler. So don't worry about the climate change during the day. We'll just shift all our work to night, not to mention how that's going to wreak havoc on the way that our circadian rhythms function and a whole bunch of things about our biology, uh, forcing people to work late into the night and then have them sleep during the day. I'm sure that's going to have all sorts of uh, physiological, mental, um, you know, um, dis- not disorders, but just irregularities on the back of doing such a thing. But night is not an answer. The thing is, you you have people out there saying, you know, we could do this at night, and the night is going is getting just as hot or is just as uncomfortable, just as you're saying here. I'm just saying nature is feeling it, and we're going to be feeling it. We can't escape this by saying we will just shift all our major efforts, everything that we need to do that is hampered during the day to the night. Because the night's going to be just as bad eventually. So that's it's it's not a solution. That's what I'm getting at here. It's not a solution. And I think that a lot of states and a lot of legislatures have have tried to make it a solution. And it's it's just you're you're kicking the can down the road, but this can is not is not going far. So be- becoming nocturnal is not the answer. No, no, making humans nocturnal is funny enough, just not up and not in our cards. It's just not part of our condition anyway. So this makes it harder for firefighters to fight. Now they got to fight 24 seven because the fires aren't slowing down at night. This hurts the ability for people and animals to flee. And it just destroys more ecosystems because it's just always moving forward. So it, it actually is a huge, huge deal. Um, an amendment to a previous episode is that all this smoke and fire also impacts wine growing. It's not just about the early frost and early bloom and all that kind of stuff. Um, Grapevines can bounce back from fire better than humans, but turns out smoke does significant damage to the plant. But on a more serious note, I want everyone to remember the horrific Australian wildfires that killed or harmed 3 billion animals. And again, a direct result of carbon emissions that heat the planet. Don't forget that. So now the worst part isn't that wild isn't what wildfires have already claimed, which has been a lot, like we just went over. The worst part is that they will multiply in frequency and intensity. The latest UN report predicts a surge as global warming heats the air and land, which dries out trees and other plants. In fact, you can expect a 14% uptick in wildfires by 2030 and 30% by 2050, and 50% by the end of the century. Michael E. Mann, a renowned climatologist, says that this dangerous escalation in extreme weather is the new abnormal. His quote, the impacts of climate change are upon us in the form of unprecedented, dangerous, extreme weather events. And it will only get worse as long as we continue to burn fossil fuels and generate carbon pollution. Scientists are also saying that Earth is starting to transform into what it was 94 million years ago. At that time, fires would burn 40% of the world's forests due to an increase in oxygen in the atmosphere. And by 2100, which isn't far away, folks, it really isn't. Your kids are going to see that. 
we are on track to see large amounts of carbon dioxide accumulate in the atmosphere and nutrients build up in the ocean. We talked about that last week with the green oceans. And it's that process that ends with high oxygen concentrations at those past levels, which was and is fuel for fire, right? Oxygen, fire, get it? So it's not that, it's not just that carbon dioxide warms the planet, which it does. It also has significant impacts on the fundamental biogeochemistry of this planet. It's just part of what we don't understand about our global ecosystem. So on to the next and final natural disaster humans have made worse for themselves, droughts. Fun fact, lakes cover around 3% of the planet, but hold nearly 90% of its liquid surface fresh water, which is essential for our drinking water, irrig irrigation, power, and wildlife. And lake water levels fluctuate in response to natural climate variations in rain and snowfall, but now they are also affected by human actions like overuse. And we covered a little bit about this before, especially with water rights and things like that. <clears throat> so the result is that 53% of lakes and reservoirs have lost the equivalent of 17 lake meads each year, which is a lot. Go check out Lake Mead. It's big. Drought is bad for obvious reasons, but there are also several ancillary impacts of drought that most people don't know about. Disappearing lakes mean that surrounding areas become arid. Lakes in cold regions no longer freeze, so more water evaporates during the winter, ultimately lowering its level. Water quality decreases due to toxic algae blooms, which also kills marine life. And lakes and reservoir capacity decreases because of sediment buildup, which is a whole process. And if you want to check it out, we got a source in our episode description. You can go read about it. Now, droughts in the U.S., have also expanded across U.S. corn growing areas, achieving the second highest level for late July in the last 24 years. 59% of our corn is experiencing moderate or worse drought, and 23% is experiencing severe or worse drought. And another callback to a previous climate episode because it's all connected. Corn also loses nutrients when it's too hot. And finally, Droughts also drive food shortages and starvation across the African continent in countries like Kenya and Somalia. Now, you want to move on to some solutions, or at least our version of solutions? Drought also causes war. And war. <laughs> Did you and that? war. Especially in areas that are um, prone to um, interference, upheaval, or... Um... Yeah, or, or innately uh, unstable, which is basically anything in the global south based on the way in which the global north manipulates that read that area, that part of the world. Uh, droughts will uh, will absolutely cause, um, yeah, will cause war. There's that. Oh, it's a really good point to make. Moving on to some solutions, I guess. Uh, and I I'm, I'm going to name the solutions not because they're solutions, but because you need to be aware of like what is actually going on here in the face of all this disaster that we just went over. We're finding that our climate tools are causing issues. A study found that exclusion of race from a federal climate justice tool could worsen air pollution exposure disparities along racial lines in the US. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? And what are politicians doing about climate change? Well, Republicans have Project 2025 
which aims to dismantle U.S. climate policy if they win the White House. They basically want to gut environmental protections and bolster oil and gas fossil fuel industries. And I will just ask the listeners, does that sound right after everything we just went over? I don't think so. Democrats. <laughs> to our listeners, I suppose not. But there are some people out there that would say that 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 tracks or or not that that tracks. Most people say that tracks. But I, you know, I wish that was enough. I wish it was enough. I wish it was enough. I wish that you had a population that was so culturally bound to the protection of the planet and the protection of or at least understanding our place as the United States, as a country living on the planet, existing on the planet, that we need to just reverse course immediately. We need all hands on deck. We need to make sacrifices. We just need to do some a whole bunch of just outlawing of basically it just needs to stop. We need to stop everything we're doing and then build from the ground up. And it's going to require a massive cultural sacrifice, um, something that probably we have not seen since uh, World War II, probably like an amassing of of uh, of just like, you know, huge uh, propaganda, huge public outreach in terms of saying that, you know, it's like roll up your sleeves, got to get into the nitty gritty. We got to we got to stop. We got to stop. If you got two cars, we're doing a buyback. You got to go down to one. We got to do a whole bunch of re, you know, tax incentives to refit people's homes and, and re reconfigure the, the whole uh, suburban infrastructure, reconfigure the way that we're looking at, at, at cities. We need to just stop full, just, just a whole full stop in accounting. And no, that is just not, it's just not, it's not where we are. It's just not where the zeitgeist happens to be for, uh, for a lot of people. A lot of people are like, you know, this is, this is unfortunate and uh, we're going to live through it. And uh, this is just one of those things where we're just going to have to grit our teeth and bear it and make the best of it. And um, it's just so much worse than that, which is what I think you've outlined here is that you've it's it's not something that you could just grit. It's literally you cannot we could not as generations, you could not have just grit your teeth and just sit back and weather World War One. You couldn't have just sat back and weathered World War Two. It. It had to be a mass mo- uh, mass movement, a mass moment of like all of nations, coalition of nations getting together, saying we're all going to do the exact same thing. Otherwise, we won't survive this. We're, we're, we're at that moment. It, the problem is, is that we only understand these moments of 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 gravitas, these these, these these weighted moments in our history. We only understand them through war, uh, We you know, because that's the only way that we're usually. They're they're relayed to us. They're only relayed to us in terms of war. War is the only time really we good say point. this is this was crazy. These people had to sacrifice and do all these things to get through the Revolutionary War. The, look at all the people who sacrificed. Yeah, what mobilizes a population other than war? Exactly, exactly. That, that that that's 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 one thing that I think that is something that we have drummed up in our mythos of our society that needs to be dismantled or at least needs to be looked at. Making people understand that the, the the movie generations from now of how we dealt with climate change, it yeah you're right it might not be a Gettysburg it won't be um, uh, all quiet on the Western Front it, you know it won't be that action packed but it also will be that action packed because there's you you've got these wildfires that are like you know rushed that are decimated it'll be a weird cities it'll be a weird juxtaposition towns. yeah it'll, it'll be, be it, you'll have action but then you'll have people Tons not properly reacting to yes. it and it'll just look like bad acting 
Right. It's yeah. going to look like maybe it yeah. should be called bad actors <laughs> because it, it, that that's be what it. it's going to look like. You are going to have yeah. entire communities facing if a 20 year this. drought and burning and people are going to be like, eh, it'll be okay. <laughs> ah, that's fake. Ah, that's normal. I, you know, yeah. it's, it's yeah. somehow, I think, you know, Michael Mann put it the right way where he was like, it's the new abnormal. We we've, we're normalizing it. We are telling ourselves to accept it, that this is going to happen and that we just have to learn to cope and adjust. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anyone understands that this is just the beginning. This isn't it. <laughs> like this is a taste. This is that breeze that yeah. cool breeze coming off the ocean before the hurricane comes like that. This is not it. This is just the beginning. It is going to get so much worse and we don't have that much of a window to change it. And you're right. We'll get into it in a little bit. It's going to be all hands on deck. So Democrats have proposed a new bill to provide all U.S. workers in high heat environments with mandatory paid shaded breaks and to make sure that they are provided water, a stipulation that Texas has straight out outlawed. And I think you covered that before, right? Joe Biden announced new steps to protect workers, including a hazard alert, notifying employers and employees about ways to stay safe from extreme heat, measures to improve weather forecasts and making drinking water more accessible. I think these are all fine, but I'm going to be honest. This really just sounds like table stakes. Like this, it's like, it's almost like we don't do this already. Yeah, let's do that. But that can't be it. Um, according to Boston's NPR, New England's largest energy utility ever source has left the American Gas Association, which is like the big thing in that industry, um, to seemingly distance themselves from the powerful industry group's efforts to block efforts to curb climate change. Um, Eversource spokesperson says that this move is part of a larger strategy to decarbonize their operations and reduce carbon emissions. So yay for them. But if you read this article in our sources, um, it's it's an enormous article. I was actually shocked. Um, their hands are not clean, uh, but it looks like they're attempting to look for some soap. Uh, but <laughs> they still do stuff that's like counterintuitive. And I mean, I don't want to like knock what they're doing because it's a good move. But I mean, I, I just don't know how genuine it is. We'll see. We'll see. Kudos to them if they if they if they see it through. Now, eliminating the risk of wildfires is not possible. Okay, that is not going to happen. But we can reduce the risk. Integrating wildfire management um, using traditional and indigenous land management techniques will be key to that effort. Um, we've covered this early on, and I think we covered it again when we had a hiker Maxine on the on the pod. Um, basically, what that means is that you know traditional is that we just come in and respond to fires with suppression. But what we also want to do is invest in preparedness and resilience so that we can try to mitigate how bad they get and control when and how they happen. Um, on the global stage, a fossil fuel executive is slated to lead COP28, which is the 28th United Nations Conference of Parties on Climate Change. So this sounds like a massive miss um, <laughs> and a mess, uh, but here we are. Um, we put the fossil industry in charge of our climate talks. And uh, while politicians are we figuring didn't. all of this. We did not. <laughs> we we didn't. did not. They bought their spots because our politicians are easily corruptible. And uh, and that's why they're in a position to lead um, and have been leading basically since the 70s, late 70s. They've been leading the uh, anything that all our initiatives, all our um Anything that we've been doing towards curbing climate change has 
at the at the forefront of it has been the fossil fuel industry, who has been doing a tongue in cheek dance of uh, pretending to help curb emissions while lining their pockets um, and uh, and the pockets of their shareholders with uh, infinite profits based off of cutting corners and uh, and and basically sending us down this path of almost no return. So uh, thank you to those guys. So one might say that knowing this and the fact that this is not, I'm not just throwing out some, um, you know, some sort of internet uh, conspiracy theories. There's, there, there's actual documentation by these industries who have actively talked about how they, their mission was to go out there and play a nice PR game in order to gain public favor while underhandedly, while undercutting any initiative to curb uh, the use of fossil fuels and to uh, and, and and basically just to keep pushing and pushing so that their profits would go uh, up and up. Uh, as one might say that they we could we could we could charge them and uh, and use their money as we you know whatever we recoup from them uh, in order to do a lot of the full stop initiative kind of thing. You know, uh, you know, replace buying back your second car. And uh, and helping out all the burbs become more efficient and all these other things doesn't have to be on the back of the taxpayer since the taxpayer has helped offset any of the um, basically any of the the monies that oil gas would have would have been paying uh, if they were paying their fair share the taxpayer has helped offset that by giving them their tax breaks yeah uh, what could say that we could do that we could go after them and say you know what. Uh, Thanks for the, thanks for the the hell that we are now exhibit that we're now living. Uh, we're gonna take a couple of billions that you make every year, and we're gonna fix it, and uh, and you're gonna like it because you could go somewhere else. In fact, we welcome you to. Uh, if you want to go over to Russia, uh, you know Exxon, you wanna you wanna go um, recorporate in uh in in the Russian Ukrainian war by by all means be our guest. In fact, you wanna leave leave. We, we don't really care and, you know, try your hat elsewhere. But because we know this is the most stable land that you could operate within, we're going to make you pay for it. And we're going to make you pay for that privilege because uh, you've done us wrong and you've done us dirty. That that's what would happen if every politician that works within our government doesn't owe them their reelection bid in one way, shape or another. But uh, if we were more of a free, independent electorate, that's what I imagine most people would do. They would say, hey, you don't like it? Go somewhere else. Because guess what? You go to Ireland, you go to England, they're all going to be on board. They're all going to make you pay. So if you go there, you're going to be paying. In fact, they're going to make you pay more than what we're asking you to pay. You want to go to a place that's not going to make you pay. Good luck with that. Good luck enjoying whatever, um, you know, enjoy hanging out under Putin until he nationalizes you and takes all your money for himself and, you know. And enjoy the the enjoy being outside the walled garden. That's what we should say to them. It it almost makes sense now why they keep us stupid. Oh, absolutely. Why our <laughs> education systems sense. underfunded, and and the and the rest. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. critical thinking. Yeah. So while politicians and industry pretend to try and help us, um, there are some things that we all can do. Uh, not that I want to put it on our backs, but there are some things that we all can do. And uh, I went over these in a previous episode, but I'll I'll hit them up again really quickly. 
You can eat less meat. You can reduce your waste. You can move away from incandescent light bulbs as they contribute to 15% of global electricity consumption and 5% of greenhouse gas emissions worldwide. Did not know that. You can plant trees. You can eat local. You can travel responsibly. You can reuse stuff. You can say no to single-use plastics. You can recycle. You can switch to cold water laundry, divest from fossil fuels, save water, shop wisely, donate if you can, grow your food, volunteer, conserve energy, compost, and don't forget about the microplastics lurking in common household and personal care products. But above all, above all, vote smart and demand government action because that is truly the only entity with the reach, the funds, and the influence to impact something as massive and complex as climate change. Every year, in which emissions continue to rise means we need more drastic cuts in the future. If you're not willing to make the sacrifice now, it's going to be that much of a bigger pill to swallow tomorrow. We must half emissions in the next seven years. That's right. Cut emissions by 50% by 2030. And we need to reach net zero in the next 27 years to avoid disaster. That is what we are looking at because we have refused to take action to date. So I'll end with two more quotes, one from the guy in the beginning, UN Secretary General, and one from the chair of the IPCC. And I quote, our world needs climate action on all fronts, everything, everywhere, all at once. Next quote, if we act now, we can still secure a livable, sustainable future for all. There's still hope, folks. There's still hope. So when you said everything we can do, my mind immediately went back to what you talked about in terms of our data and your provocative, they should pay you. They should pay you for the data they're using on the back of your your labor, of your identity, of everything. Data dignity, folks. There. Data There's dignity. Data dignity. And I was like, you know what? Am I not speaking about the exact same thing for climate change? Yeah, you could do all that. And I'm happy to have people do all that on their own and say, you know, I want I don't I want a future for my children. I want a future for my grandchildren. I want to compost. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. But at the end of the day. that literally the society you live in is acting against you. If yeah, sure. Maybe you want a bike to work every day. But guess what? Where you live, it's a freeway between you and your job. And the only way you could get to work is by using that freeway. So as much as you may want a bike and get there, it's the society that you live in that is actively preventing you from being as carbon neutral as you possibly can be. So in order to change all this, which is what we were talking about, a lot of these areas need fresh funds. They need revenue. The billionaire fossil fuel industry should be paying you to be carbon neutral. People should be paid. Forget about the bike analogy, but people should be paid for composting. People should be paid for proving that their home is generating like a net zero in terms of their carbon emissions. Getting down to zero, you should be getting a check. A check should be delivered to you for helping out the environment and helping out our society and providing a future for the children and their children and the children's children. ExxonMobil posted $56 billion in profit in 2022, okay? That is $6.3 million per hour 
in the year of 2022. That means every hour, ExxonMobil, because everyone needs to buy gas to get to work, they were earning $6.3 million, which is a record. It's a historic high for Western oil industry. That's 2022. That's a year of pandemic. That's a year coming out of the pandemic. And that remember, the fuel industry is posting get, a record profit. People were supposed to be sitting at home. We, co- we covered this last time. It's record profit. Yeah. And they have the most subsidies. That's what right. are we subsidizing? What That's do they right. need it for? Yeah. You're subsidizing your future. You're, you're, you're subsidizing them and they're cutting your future short with those subsidies. So at the end of the day, the title of our last episode, we're funding our own extinction. Like, what are we doing? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you're not, you're not profiting from it in any way, shape or form. No one's getting a check from ExxonMobil, but you know, what gives you a tax rebate, like a gas rebate for having purchased X number of gallons last year or X number of gallons in a year. And yeah, for you people who are shareholders who are leeching off the back of these companies, good for you, but I don't care about you. What I care about is everybody else. Everybody else out there who doesn't have a hand in Exxon's pocket, okay? For you out there, you listening out there, I'm telling you right now, you should have to buy shares to give this company even more money. Because again, that's like a triple tax. If you buy shares into ExxonMobil, you're giving them money that way. You're giving the money through government taxes, okay, the federal taxes, because they're getting money on that way. And I bet you if you're in an oil-promoting state, your state is also taxing you to give money to that company. So let's say you're a Texan right now, and you don't have, and you did buy ExxonMobil shares, and you're looking at that as your, your goose egg, your retirement right now. I want you to know that that's your third tax. The one tax you're looking for some sort of some back on that, some sort of buyback on that with the either the... Um, the dividends that they're going to like the the Keasley, the the paltry cents you're going to get from the money that you've given this company that doesn't offset the fact that you've already been taxed twice giving money to that company the fed taxed you and your state taxed you gave money to that company and then you on top of that decided to give extra money to that company in the hopes that they give you a couple of cents back that's the relationship that's a, that's what we call an abusive relationship <laughs> if if i were just to put that out to you without telling you that it's ExxonMobil that you're doing that to. And I just said, this is a person that this is your neighbor, your neighbor, Frank, your neighbor, Frank, you pay for his home. You know how angry you would be if I told you that your neighbor, Frank, especially if he's not the same race as you. If I said to you that you are paying for Frank's home, how angry would you be? Like, what is the I want you to think about that right now, listener. Think of like how that's boiling up in your in your gut, like in your belly. You're like, I just told you, man, you just paid for your neighbor's house. You're gonna be like, what? What do you mean I paid for my neighbor's house? That's ridiculous. My neighbor could pay for their own house. Guess what? Exxon could pay for their own house. Exxon could pay for their own house. You don't need to pay for their house three times over, which is what most people, especially if you live again in a state that is sub- that is heavily subsidizing them in order to be headquartered there, you're paying for their own house. That is ridiculous. That's not something that needs to be done. We all need to be rallying around this cry to say that, give us the money. Give the people back the money. Make it so that Roger in in Connecticut doesn't have to take the I-95 to get to work. Give him a back road that allows him to bike to work. Give him something else. Give him money for every time he composts. Give him money for every time he recycles. There needs to be an accounting for that. Because if we want to save our future, that's the sacrifice that needs to be made. Yes, people need to sacrifice, no doubt about that. But that sacrifice in kind 
can be repaid and it can be repaid immediately. It's not something that we need to look well into the future, 15, 20, 30 years down the road. Next year, you could be getting your dividend. We could be taxing Exxon properly, screw these subsidies and say, make it out on your own. And with them not being able to do whatever it is they think they can't do without the subsidy, we roll that back into your own town. Stop paying for your neighbor's house. That's Exxon. You don't need to pay for their house. They can pay for their own house. That's a future I, I think that is worth worth selling. That's a future I think that is worth uh, eyeing. And that, that's a future that we should be demanding from our representatives who are paid by these guys. We should be demanding these checks, these checks for everyone that is ruining the future of our world. They should be giving us money as a recompense for that ruining. And then with that money, we should be trying to undo some of the harm that has seemed to be almost irreversible. We should be starting to reverse that harm. And that's my soapbox. That's my soapbox out. Okay. That is a wonderful place to leave it. I think that was well said. And, and it, it was, it was interesting. I mean, it'll never happen, but <laughs> a guy could dream, but <laughs> I dream. like the idea the thing is, is that you say it'll never happen. It's not like it doesn't happen within the human race. Other countries incentivize their citizens to do the right thing they because transition do. transition is hard and not everyone has the means to transition. Yep. So it it's not unheard of. It's just against a major propaganda movement in this country. And um, it's hard to really envision how to overcome that today with some of the things that people parrot and believe and tell themselves. So I'm hopeful that <laughs> either they smarten up or things get bad enough where we reach some threshold where they're like, hey, you know, maybe an LED light bulb goes off in their head and they're like, hey, there <laughs> may be something up here. Uh, why isn't, what are, what, are, what are our people not telling us? My life is negatively impacted now. But um, yeah, I think that that's, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. That could work. Jamie, where where can they find us? Where can they hear more of these soapbox rants on climate change and uh, the destruction of our future? Folks, we got a whole series of climate change for you to catch up on if you haven't already. So check out our YouTube page. Check out um, our different places where you can find us. We're on Twitter. We're on wherever you can listen to podcasts, like, and subscribe, share with a friend. New episodes are usually out on Fridays. Come engage with us. We'll give you a shout out on the pod. And with that, my fair friend listener, we're attraction. Oh.